I want to focus this morning on 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So that tells us that this passage is, is telling us that Passover, it has everything to do with Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, that he is our Passover lamb. Before Passover, Jews, even to this day, searched through their entire home, and they searched for any little tiny bit of leaven that might be in the house, and they sweep it up, and they remove it from the house, and only then can they celebrate that deliverance from Egypt that Passover is all about. Passover was the first day of a week-long Jewish celebration called the week, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, described for us in the Old Testament. Paul saw the Passover lamb as a prediction that came to fruition in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Passover lamb, the lamb of God. All lambs that had been sacrificed in the Jewish temple for all that time, from the time that Moses gave the commandment as they walked through the, the wilderness journey and then as they became a nation, all the way up until the fall of Jerusalem, all those lambs were pointing forward to the Lamb of God. They were a foreshadow of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was the ultimate sacrifice for our deliverance from the slavery of sin. And that's why Paul tells us to cleanse out that old leaven. Now, he says, as you already are unleavened, because he's speaking to people who are believers. And yet, we all know how sin can creep back into our life, amen? And so he's telling us we must continually cleanse out that, get rid of the old leaven because our, our lamb has already been sacrificed. We are in that week of unleavened bread. We're continually in the feast of unleavened bread. The fulfillment of all the Passover lambs has come. Paul refers to that us now as that new lump of unleavened dough. We are all one in Christ. The author of Hebrews wrote something very similar regarding the objects in the tabernacle. He wrote, they serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. It's no wonder then that Paul could see spiritual truths in the laws of God for the Jewish people. In fact, all the feasts described for us in the laws of Moses point to the Messiah. Let's look back for a moment and consider the Exodus. The Jewish people had, had been in Egypt for 430 years when God finally sent the deliverer. God raised up Moses, and he showed signs and wonders through him which, which forced Pharaoh to finally let them go. If you've read that story in the book of Exodus, you'll remember Pharaoh was very reluctant. He would harden his heart and harden his heart and harden his heart, and finally God also hardened his heart, 
All the plagues of Egypt were plagues on things that the Egyptians worshipped as gods that were really a curse to them. The final god to go was Pharaoh's son. He would have been the next Pharaoh and considered God by the Egyptians. So when the firstborn sons of Egypt die, Pharaoh was finally broken. He demanded that the Israelites leave. He was losing his labor force, but the price to keep them was too great. Their God was too great. There's a very clear analogy of Egypt representing the, this fallen world system. And Pharaoh represents the ruler of this world, which is the devil. Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. Mankind gave up the authority God had given us in the Garden of Eden when man yielded to the serpent's temptation to doubt God and disobey. We're enslaved by sin like the Israelites were physically enslaved to construct store cities for the Egyptians. Moses is a foreshadow of Jesus, our deliverer, who brings us out of bondage and leads us through the wilderness of life to the promised land. In fact, Moses predicted that in Deuteronomy 18:15. He said, the Lord your God is gonna raise up from among you someone among your brothers like me and to him you must listen. And of course, that was fulfilled in Jesus, our great deliverer. So to prepare for a Passover, the last meal that they would have in Egypt and for the judgment on Egypt's firstborn, they had to clear their houses of leaven first. Leaven is a picture of sin. It puffs up, but it doesn't add any substance. And before we partake of communion, which was the Passover meal, the last supper celebrated by the disciples, we must also rid our earthly dwelling, these bodies of sin. But how do we do that? The rest of the preparation of the Passover will tell us how. I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 through 7. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household's too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. So they were to choose a lamb for each family five days before Passover and live with that lamb. They would become familiar with it just as we are to become familiar with Jesus as we read the Gospels. But then they would have to sacrifice it and consume it the night before they departed. Anyone who was not an Israelite could join if they were circumcised, which is a picture of the heart being open to God. For God so loved the world. The more you look into it, the more you can see that the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed and the New Testament 
is the, in the old is the new concealed. John the Baptist said, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus came over that mountain of olives and entered Jerusalem five days before the Passover, presenting himself as the Lamb of God so that people might choose him as the sacrificial lamb. Choosing Jesus as our sin bearer is the way that we remove sin, pictured by leaven, from our lives. We partake of Jesus, and that's why Jesus gave us another picture when he said we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. Listen to how he said it in the promises that came with it. This is from John chapter 6, verse 53 to 57. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Now, Jesus didn't mean we were supposed to cannibalize him, but receive his life on our behalf because he is the word made flesh. We partake of him every time we read God's word. And that's the only way to keep the destroyer from entering our homes. The Lord sees the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of our hearts and does not allow the destroyer to take us. I love the fact that they were to eat the lamb as a family. God intends for our entire family to be forgiven and protected. That was the case with the Philippian jailer and with the centurion in Caesarea. Though they, they were Gentiles, their whole families took part in the meaning behind the Passover. Figuratively, they came out of Egypt and started their journey to the promised land. The Israelites were instructed to, at the time of the Exodus, to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lintel so that the destroyer would pass them. They would pour the blood in a little trough in front of the door, the, the threshold of the door, which is referred to as a basin in scripture. It kept water from coming into the house during heavy rains. They would dip hyssop branch into it and splash it on the lintel and the doorposts. If you overlay the cross on the door, it's exactly where our Savior bled, his head, his hands, and his feet. The earthly tent of our body is to have our minds, the, the lintel, that represents our thoughts, our hands that represent what we do, and our feet representing where we go continually influenced by the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. Jesus is not only the lamb that we consume, he also said he's the manna that came down from heaven. 
that a person may eat of and not die. John 6, 32 and 33 reads, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gave you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He is the sustenance of our spiritual life. We should be partaking of him daily to consume our daily bread for our spiritual lives. In Deuteronomy, we're told, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's teaching your children about Jesus. Talking about him when we sit, when we walk, when we lie down, when we get up. And wait a second, didn't we just read something about doorposts? The blood was on the doorposts. So also the word of God is to be written there. Do you see the overlap? Moses wrote of both expressions. Lately, you know, there's been a lot of talk about our nation in decline. That's because we've failed to place a priority on our relationship with Jesus and to teach our children the same. The prophet Amos spoke of a time when there would be a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. In Amos 8, 11 through 13, he wrote, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. We have Bibles in abundance, but so few read them and partake of their daily manna. The world refers to it as outdated ideas or antiquated laws. And yet it was the foundation upon which our Western law was founded. No wonder then that we're distorting and overturning those laws. I hear the phrase, you can't legislate morality, but almost every law is a moral issue. You can't steal or you should not steal because God gave that possession to someone else. You cannot kill because we are all made in the image of God. We have speed limits to protect you and others from you. Laws are based on morality, and morality is defined by God's nature. Almost 20 years ago, I stood right here and shared with Wayside that our public education, public education, was founded by atheists to take education away from the church control and influence children with a secular mindset. And it's taken over 100 years, but it seems like they have prevailed. That's why there's such a fight over school choice. Indoctrinate children with the hopeless perspective that there is no God, and you get what we are seeing in our society today. The only hope is to repent and return to God and his word that he might bless us again. 
What we need is a national Passover. Every Jewish man was required to bring his sacrifice to the temple. Families came from across the nation, even around the world. As they removed the leaven, they thought of the sin in their lives that, they had, to be, that had to be swept away. And as they grew to love the lamb, they thought of how serious sin is, that it required blood to be shed. But for us today, it means getting to know Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture, and seeing how serious our own sins are and that he had to die in our place. Then we must leave Egypt, being led through the wilderness by our Lord, the wilderness of this life, who is going on before us just as the cloud led the children of Israel to the promised land. When the Israelites left Egypt, there was a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night that went before them. Exodus 13, 21, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and led them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. So let's take that analogy to the next step. Once we receive Jesus as our Passover lamb, we're to leave this world system that's ruled by the devil. We forsake greed and selfishness and we let the Lord lead us through this life. He goes before us. He's our light in the darkness of this world. We quit following the ways of man and we seek the Lord in his direction. He's leading us to the promised land where you'll find houses you did not build and fields you did not plant. For Jesus said, I have go to prepare a place for you. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us just as that cloud stayed with them all the way to the promised land. And as the scripture says, that this is God, our God, forever and ever, and he will guide us forever. However, we shouldn't think that means life will be easy. The first place the Lord led them was to a dead end. The sea was before them, mountains on each side, Pharaoh's army behind them, trapped, cornered. The Israelites started whining like we almost always do. Moses, you led us out here to die in the wilderness because there weren't enough graves in Egypt. And that indeed is where God leads us, to a death to self, that we might be trusting him every day, leaning on him and not ourselves. We recently read in our Corinthian study, chapter 4, 10, and 11, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh. When we stop trusting in ourselves, we can begin to trust in the Lord. And then people start to see Jesus in us. But as we see in the wilderness wandering, that was a lifelong lesson that many began, but few completed. We saw this in the first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 10, verse one through six. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were under the cloud, 
and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. The fact that Christ is our Passover lamb has led us to consider the picture of the Exodus and how it speaks to our lives today. But thankfully, this is not the end of the analogy because Jesus, our Passover lamb, because of him, we will arrive in the promised land. We will all one day arrive at the Jordan where our journey through this life ends. We will, by the miraculous power of God, cross the Jordan on dry land. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? For Christ, our Passover lamb, conquered death. This is why this, what this day is all about. He rose victorious over the grave. He holds back the Jordan and he brings us into a land flowing with milk and honey. Jory sent out a quote. Um, he sends out morning devotions and sometimes quotes from people he's reading. And I thought this one from Jonathan Edwards who led one of the great awakenings in the United States was fitting to tell us where he's leading us to, what the promised land is all about. Jonathan Edwards wrote, the saints in heaven shall have no difficulty in expressing all their love. Their souls being on fire with holy love shall not be like a fire pent up, but like a flame uncovered and at liberty. Their spirits being winged with love shall have no weight upon them to hinder their flight. There shall be no want of strength or activity, nor any want of words wherewith to praise the objects of their affection. Nothing shall hinder them from communing with God and praising and serving him just as their love inclines them to do. Love naturally desires to express itself and in heaven, the love of the saints shall be at full liberty to express itself as it desires, whether it be toward God or to created beings. All in heaven shall flourish in immortal youth and freshness. Age will not there diminish anyone's beauty or vigor. And there, love shall abide in everyone's heart as a living spring perpetually springing up in the soul or as a flame that never dies away. And the holy pleasure of this love shall be as a river that is flowing forever, clear and full and increasing continually. The heavenly paradise of love shall always be kept as in a perpetual spring without autumn or winter, where no frost shall blight or leaves decay and fall, but where every plant shall be in perpetual freshness, bloom, fragrance, and beauty, 
always springing forth, always blossoming, always bearing fruit. The leaf of the righteous shall not wither. And in the midst of the streets of heaven and on either side of the river grows the tree of life, which bears 12 manner of fruits and yields her fruit every month. Everything in the heavenly world shall contribute to the joy of the saints. And every joy of heaven shall be eternal. No night shall settle down with its darkness upon the brightness of their everlasting day. So why is this our glorious hope? Because Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. He conquered death and the grave. He promised that he has gone to prepare this place for us and that he will come again to receive us to himself, to be with him forever. Heaven is the presence of Jesus. We taste it now, but it will be our every breath then. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, this Resurrection Sunday is the perfect time to begin. Confess your sins to him. Thank him for taking the justice that you deserve. Receive his forgiveness and then begin feasting on his words. Follow him through the wilderness of this life and into the promised land, our heavenly home. Amen. Jill, would you lead us in a closing song? And then I'll give the benediction.